It's so good, but I wouldn't call it cereal. Just fruit in a bowl, coconut water. But how can you avoid gaining the COVID-15 pound? I think people can sometimes think of food as its only function being like it determining your weight. Hi, I'm Ramnik Chohal. And I'm Carol Eugene Park. This is Decomplicated. Before we get started, I want to remind you to go to decomplicated.com and sign up for our daily newsletter where we decomplicate a top story. We tell you why certain things are trending to keep you in the know. Every morning, straight to your inbox, no hassle, but all the fun. Before we begin, we wanted to include a trigger warning, as this episode includes sensitive content that may be triggering for some people. Okay, Carol, I know I'm always mad about something I see on the internet, but I feel like this time I'm justified. Carol, have you heard of nature's cereal? Of course. How could I not when that's all I see on my TikTok feed, from Lizzo to our favorite man, Bretman Rock. It seriously is everywhere on TikTok. And for those of you who don't know what it is, it's literally just fruit in a bowl with ice and coconut water. That's it. And everyone is calling it nature's cereal when it's literally just wet fruit. I won't lie though, I found myself being curious about it and Then I was like, that's stupid. Just eat fruit. So this is one food fad that I didn't end up trying, which says a lot because I feel like I've tried them all. The apple diet, the military diet, the juice cleanse, even the lemon water fast. You name a diet trend and I've likely tried it. And you're definitely not alone in that. So many of us fall for these diet trends or fitness fads that we see on social media or these wellness hacks that are positioned as good for us by people who are certainly not qualified to be giving us this information. So why do we fall for these trends we see on social media when we know they aren't good for us? Why do we trust celebrities and social media influencers as authority figures over our health? So let's dive in. Okay, Romnik, you and I grew up with Tumblr, which was a dark time for our generation. And I mean, there was a lot of romanticization of eating disorders and mental health. And to me, it feels like these diet trends and fads that we see on social media, especially TikTok, are similar and yet different somehow. What did you take away from the conversations with the experts that you spoke with today? I think the most important takeaway is that none of this is new. Many of these products or fads are meant to continually reinvent themselves and never give a real solution because there isn't one. And this is why it's important to unpack the way these trends have impacted our relationship to food. I spoke to Sachi Kool writer for BuzzFeed News and author of One Day We'll All Be Dead and None of This Will Matter. 
Here's what Sachi had to say about all of this. You know, I notice a lot when I log into TikTok, there's always these weird food things that people are doing. Can I swear before I... I can't? Okay, good. Um, Because I'm going to. It's really just about (laughs) what you do with it. I, I feel like two weeks ago, everybody was talking about nature cereal on TikTok. And all it is, is a bowl of ice, berries, and coconut water, which sounds like eating a wet fart as it passes through an old piece of fruit. Like I can't think of a worse thing to eat. And it is being packaged by people who clearly have really disordered relationships with food and with diet. And they're packaging it back to me by saying, this is a healthy alternative to cereal. Just eat a fucking bowl of cereal. Like no one's thinking about the other ways that this kind of disordered eating is going to affect your body. Like the diarrhea alone from eating nature cereal for five days in a row, you're not going to get that sick if you just eat some Cheerios. And and you don't even realize that you've done it because in your head, you haven't counted calories. You haven't been binging and purging. You haven't been sort of engaging in the, the toxic rituals of being a human in the world who has to think about having a body, but you are eating wet fruit. So it's not better. It's just different. Oh God, diarrhea. We love that. Okay. So it is different, but how exactly? Okay, first of all, that wasn't a sentence I ever anticipated coming out of your mouth on this pod, but here we are. Actually, no, I felt like it was only a matter of time. So thank you, Carol. Anyways, I asked Sachi what makes the trends we have now so much more insidious, especially given that now we are glued to our phones and can't necessarily escape it. She said, the relationship to our bodies has stayed relatively the same, but the way the messaging is packaged has changed. It's just a question of the language around it. So on Tumblr, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago when that was sort of the place to be, the language was was harsher. And it was much more about like, I want to be thin, I want to be really skinny, and I want to be able to stand behind a piece of printer paper and not be able to see my torso or I want to fit... What was that other one? I want to fit as many quarters as I can in the in the, in the the crux of my collarbone. I don't know if you ever saw that one. Or can my... How many times can I wrap something around my wrist? Like, There's all these really specific ways to uh, qualify your body as being small enough. That doesn't happen in the same way, but it's also not popular to talk like that right now on the internet. That might happen again, but currently that's not really... Uh, the way you can engage in the discourse, but you can still sort of have these bizarre rules around eating. And and now like the only difference is like when I was in high school, everybody needed to be 90 pounds and, and have no shape and be really thin. And now you need to be, I don't know, maybe 120, but that extra 30 pounds is all ass. So it's just created another dynamic for you to feel like you failed, especially as a, as a woman. This reminds me of all the ways we tried to ensure that our bodies were super thin growing up. And not to mention the fact that at least our generation was able to maintain some distance from social media. If we logged off our computers for the day, that was it. But with smartphones, it's harder to escape these dangerous and toxic ideas. Definitely. And this is something I felt too, even with Instagram in high school or university. 
seeing all of these images of fitness influencers or food influencers telling you what you need to do to look like them could get really toxic. And for many people, you buy into it. This makes me think of those fit teas that used to be and still are all over the place, famously advertised by fitness influencers and, of course, the Kardashians. Those teas are made up of natural laxatives. I remember thinking to myself, why are we all drinking tea that will make us poop ourselves? Here's Sachi's take on the Kardashians and diet culture. They're functioning in the same society we are. So it's hard to be 100% angry with that family, though I know that they control the culture and they can control the conversation. They can change how we think about these things. They're still under a tremendous amount of pressure. So I can have empathy for some of the stuff they're doing to themselves. I can't imagine. You know, I have an audience that's a fraction of theirs. And I still get an email every so often from some guy who's like, you're fat and I think you're ugly and you should kill yourself. I can't imagine what that looks like on a scale where you have, I don't know how many followers they have on Instagram. I don't know, like 40 million people look at you every day. And if there's something slightly off about your body, they're going to pounce. I mean, when Kim was pregnant, people were going after her for being swollen. Like, what do you want? What do you want her to do? (laughs) Like, Literally, that's that's what pregnancy is. Your whole body swells to accommodate this parasite baby. And then you got to poop it out because you can't keep it anymore. I mean, like that's literally all it is, but the, I, I can't, I, how, how can you blame them for being reactive in a, in a society that, that treats them this way at the same time, the stuff that they're peddling is super dangerous and their audience is really young and their audience is predominantly women and your audience is, is predisposed to feeling bad about this stuff anyway. So I don't know. It's complicated. Like weight and body stuff is not really cut and dry. And if it were, then I think it'd be a lot easier to dismantle a lot of the stuff around diet culture. But because it's so tricky and because, and because we have to eat, like there isn't a solution where it's like, well, just don't eat anything. You can't do that. You also can't really tell anybody, well, don't engage with uh, diet culture. That's also impossible. If you live in the world, if you read a magazine, if you watch TV, if you have friends, like there's nothing you can do. You're always in it. Um, so the most you can really ask is for people to make an honest effort to disengage. But that's not always possible, especially when you're famous. And like she said, it can be hard to disengage. Whether you're famous or not, as we discussed in our TikTok episode, once you end up on one side of TikTok, that's all you keep seeing. So if you're watching videos about diets or weight loss, that's likely the kind of content that you'll keep seeing over and over, which can be dangerous and hard to step away from. Right. And like I mentioned earlier, that's the biggest difference between now and the Tumblr days. It's all packaged through a lens of health and wellness. It's no longer just about being thin but rather being healthy. And that's something Sachi mentioned in the context of Gwyneth Paltrow. And there's a lot of stuff where it's like she's eating like powdered food for a few days for a cleanse. And and that stuff is like your organs don't need detoxing. Like that's not how the body works. Just drink some water. (laughs) Drink some water, have a salad periodically. Like it'll even out, you know, like, it's not, you know, it, it, I, uh, she's tough because I actually think Gwyneth is probably a lot of fun. She seems really delightful, frankly. 
Uh, I think anybody who wants to sell like a pussy candle is probably like a gas, but she's still engaged in this stuff that like is maddening. And, and again, it's like when you package it in, in cute paper that says this is about health and wellness and about being your best self, well, then that tells people like, well, if I don't lose weight or if I don't want to engage in these practices or these rituals of eating and not eating, then I'm not my best self. I don't know. I don't know about that. Ah, yes. Gwyneth's obsession with female odors and detox products. The detoxing trend reminds me of when the millennial and Gen Z war on social media was at its peak. And the idea of low-rise jeans making a comeback was such a dividing fashion issue. I know on the surface it seemed dumb and trivial, but I cannot even begin to describe the incredible stress I felt at that possibility. Our generation grew up with Paris Hilton and Britney Spears, And in a way, our bodies were the accessories, especially flat stomachs, in the realm of fashion. And low-rise jeans are unforgiving unless you have a flat stomach or rock-hard abs. Yeah, and Sachi mentioned how so many millennials have talked about the harms of growing up with thin being the beauty standard on social media. I've been noticing a lot on TikTok, a lot of people talking about how fucked up they were in the 2000s because of how media talked about women's bodies and specifically using when Britney Spears did, uh, the, I think it was the Video Music Awards. And she had gained a bit of weight after some of her mental health stuff was gone public. And she was still quite small, but she, had, she just wasn't toned in the way that she was in like the 90s. Everybody called her fat. <laughs> So like, how are you supposed to engage in any of this without feeling despair? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that one. Mm-hmm. Having grown up when we did, the beauty standards warped our idea of what a body should look like. And even before TV and internet culture, we had magazine covers at grocery stores promoting these ideals too. It's always existed. But now it's everywhere. And it's rooted in this deep anxiety around body image and gaining weight. And that's the thing. This deep anxiety is fueled by, and in turn fuels, this social media monster that tells people that in order to have a body that is of value, it needs to look a certain way. But Sachi said that's the point of the entire machine. There is no such thing as a solution. Diets are the only place where a consumer will consistently view that the product is ineffective and will keep going back to buy it. It's the only place. If you buy a lawnmower and every time you like pull the cord, it blows up, <laughs> you'd be like, okay, well, this is, this is broken. You wouldn't go back to the store and be like, I'll take two more, but this time I'll wake up earlier and do it in the morning. Like it doesn't work like that. But it, I mean, it's designed to keep you uh, feeling bad. That's the point. 
And they can, and a lot of these things can't work because if they work too well, you wouldn't come back. If Weight Watchers worked really well, you would never come back. Their, their user base would disappear. They need you on some level to fail so that you come back to them and say, well, it didn't, it worked for a year, but I gained some of that weight back. So I got to come back. No cap, as the youth say. Sachi also talked about how so much of diet culture is rooted in and perpetuates fat phobia. There's value judgments and moral judgments linked to weight and food, how you eat, what you look like, what your size is, what clothes you fit in. And also, you know, I was I was reading uh, What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat by Audrey Gordon. And it's interesting that the conversation she has about there's two different conversations we can have. And one is about real fat phobia and how fat people are discriminated against in the world from not being offered the same amount of money at jobs, not being offered jobs because of their size, not being able to go on a plane without having it being a completely dehumanizing experience. And then there's the stuff that all of us have to deal with, which is being humiliated in a clothing store, like being uncomfortable with how we look. You know, Those are two different things, but all of this feeds into that same stuff. The more we diet and the more we try to uh, eat in these restrictive, impossible ways, the, the more we, we propagate fat phobia in the world. There's a difference between discomfort in your body and being discriminated against for your body. And that, I think, has gotten a little lost in the wash. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm not entirely innocent either. When I'm shopping for new pants, I'm low-key worrying about whether I've gone up a size. I acknowledge that this is messed up, and logically, I know it's okay to gain weight, but it's easier said than done. You're definitely not alone in that. And we see this perpetuated all the time in so many ways that we think are normal. Think of the way that pandemic weight gain is talked about as something to be feared or to try and fix, not taking into account how much stress and anxiety and uncertainty this time has brought for everyone. Before we move on, Sachi briefly mentioned fat phobia. What is fat phobia? And is it just being afraid of becoming fat? I wasn't 100% sure on the definition before I talked to author and size acceptance specialist Edith Bernier. She's also the founder of grossophobie.ca. This is how she defines fat phobia. Fat phobia is all the behaviors and the attitudes and the discrimination and the marginalization of people that are considered fat or obese or overweight. The word is is built like like other phobias, like homophobia, for example. So it doesn't mean it's a it's the fear of fat people, but it's the intolerance of fat people and and you know, up to the hate of fat people. So it goes from snarky comments. It goes from, you know, clocking, like double taking, you know, having a double take when you look at someone, assuming that a fat person is this and this and that. Usually those characteristics are negative. Those are a typical example of, of fat phobia. There is no systemic skinny shaming. There is no systemic skinny phobia, just like there is a systemic fat phobia. And there is a systemic size discrimination when you're bigger. So, of course, it's not nice to skinny shame people. And it's wrong. Don't get me wrong. All bodies are good bodies. Good or fat or in between. You know, small, thin or fat or in between. But, I mean, the implications are way different. If you spill something on your t-shirt at work and you thin, you go to the first store 
And okay, maybe they might not have an X small, but they'll have a small and you'll still fit in it. Okay, it's going to be baggy, but at least you can cover your body. That is not an option if you're a 3X and the size of stops at large. You cannot put it on. So in short, it's really important to understand the difference between fat shaming and skinny shaming. Yeah, and she talked about this anxiety around weight gain and how in the context of a pandemic, it's bizarre that weight is still the one thing we are so fixated on. Here's Edith again. First, the fact that we are so preoccupied uh, with weight while there is a pandemic going on. I mean, a pandemic that kills people. I mean, gaining 15 15 pounds won't kill you, you know? But the thing is, catching the virus might kill you. And I mean, so what if you gain 15 pounds? I mean, if you didn't catch COVID, if you made it through with a relatively okay mental health and, you know, congrats, kudos, um, because not everybody has that chance. I mean, for some people, this this isolation, this, this stress, this in- pandemic anxiety is very hard on them. Romnik, remember all those COVID glow-up videos on TikTok where people would record their progress in getting fit last year? And now, people are talking about losing the COVID-15. And Edith is right. What's 15 pounds when people are losing their lives because of this deadly virus? For sure. And Edith also mentions that an underlying part of this conversation is our relationship to food which is also impacted by seeing what other people deem good food or bad food. There's no good food. There's no bad food. There's just, you know, bad ways to consume sometimes or bad, uh, you know, like a, an unbalance that can happen. So, I mean, okay, fine. If you eat fruits and it makes you happy, but it shouldn't be an obligation to stick to these, you know, fad and trend and so on. Uh, But like I said, you know, it probably reassures a lot of people to stick to these rules because they, some of them probably noticed that their relationship with food was probably not they thought it was. There are bad ways to consume food. That's true. What we eat is important, but even healthy eating can be harmful if you're calorie counting or even restricting certain foods. I'm totally calling myself out here, but... Even thinking that eating a salad or drinking green juice will somehow help to remedy the previous day's junk food is completely wrong. And it's super messed up. Big facts. I always used to think a green smoothie in the morning cancels out that 2 a.m. poutine. But that's the point. It doesn't need to. Eat what nourishes you and sustains you and don't punish yourself for it. Edith also said that's another thing we have to keep in mind. Your body doesn't need to be detoxed. We don't need to cancel it out. Our body is doing its part to keep us alive and healthy if we give it the right energy it needs through food. Body doesn't need detoxing. (laughs) It doesn't need special ingredients. You got kidneys for that. You've got, you know, your liver for that. You've got great organs that do the job for you. Isn't it great? It's health is so associated with thinness that taking care of your health 
is there's a subtext of I'm trying to stay thin. You know, I'm working on staying thin. There's a big subtext with, you know, that links health and, and thinness and, and the absence of health to fatness. So, uh, I, you know, it's, it's not because the language is changing and the words are changing that the, you know, the text, the subtext and the messages aren't. I mean, now we talk about detox. We used to talk about, you know, we used to have a recalibration or, or now we have a, I don't know, like, you did some uh, what do they call it fasting facts and on a concluding note i wanted to share an instagram post i saw that speaks to today's discussion it went something like this those extra 15 pounds are where your body is normally supposed to be that is you living a life that is unrestricted and that nourishes you and makes you feel good and keeps you alive those extra 15 pounds are okay. Well said. Be gentle with yourself. We're not saying that you need to love your body because I think that idea is also harmful. But I think we all need to accept our bodies for what they are and do our best to support them. Definitely. Regardless of what these crazy social media diet trends tell you, because I assure you there will be 12 more by next week. But don't worry, Carol and I will be sure to break them down for you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Decomplicated. We'll see you next time. Don't forget to leave us a review follow us on socials, and share this pod with a friend. And feel free to let us know what you want to see decomplicated next. This episode was produced by Rimnik Johal and Carol Eugene Park, and was mixed and scored by our audio producer, Sean Cameron. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Decomplicated. Decomplicated.